0: Amen. We should play a game. Let's guess how many guitar strings Austin can break in 2018. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? Hey, let's do something different. Turn to somebody around you and tell them something altogether random about yourself. Go! Go! All right, time's up. Somebody put your hand up. Give me random. Somebody over here. Give me random. Crazier than normal today. That's not random. That's like every day though, right? All right. Somebody else. Totally random. Right here. Okay, that's really weird. I love it. I love it. One more. One more in the back. Somebody. Totally random. Over here. All right, David, let's hear it. Sometimes I feel like I randomly say things. Okay, all right. Well, that's very random. Well, I'm going to give you a few random things about myself. So this is my first time to speak in senior high uh, greenhouse. I've been in junior high greenhouse. By the way, before I get started, I just need you to know that uh, I've got this like weird ocean sound going on in the left part hemisphere of my brain. I don't know. It's like sinus issue and... You know that feeling when you get off the plane and your ears need to pop? So my ears need to pop. That's what's going on. So if I sound really strange, that's what's happening. But uh, so you see me up in front of people and I high five quite a few of you guys in the hallway. And I'm really friendly, but I just need you to know I'm an introvert. So uh, I, it feels like medicine to go sit by myself. And like breathe deeply and read my Bible. Like it feels really good to me. Now, my brother, he's the opposite. He gets in a room full of people and he's like, ah, yes! Um, clowns weird me out. I just, I don't like clowns. I have never liked clowns. When I was in high school, my friend paid me $20. My best friend paid me $20 to get on the swim team. And I was like, yeah, dude, I want the 20 bucks. So I joined the swim team and I was terrible at it, but I got the 20 bucks. Completely random. Um, I went through a phase a few years ago where I would go on YouTube and watch cops tase criminals. I just, (laughs) I did entirely random. One of my greatest fears in, in public speaking and preaching is that I would preach without the power of the Holy Spirit. Like that freaks me out. And so I don't want to do that. Uh, There's people in California suffering right now. There's about 50 people dead, over 100 people missing. Let's be sure to pray for them. Let's pray for Britain, that God would recharge him and refuel him, retool him to come back and uh, lead this student ministry to the next level. Let's just bow our heads right now. Father, we want your, your blessing on this time. And Father, it is one of my greatest fears that I would preach your word, but do so in a manner that's lacking of your power. God, don't let that happen tonight. Lord, we acknowledge that as we open your word, there are people who are hurting, people in Northern California, people who have lost everything, their homes, some of them have lost loved ones, some are still missing, so Lord, I I pray that you would work in ways that we cannot see, that you would stem the tide of this, this furnace, Lord. Father, we ask your blessing on Britain. We know he has just a few weeks left on sabbatical. We pray that you would just uphold him and uh, mentor him and help him, God. We pray that he would come back fully recharged. We thank you for him. What a blessing he is. Father, this time is yours tonight. It's, it's not mine. It's not the church's. It's yours. And so God, do something very, very special in Jesus' name. Say amen. All right, if you got a Bible or phone, turn to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 21 tonight. We learn from a young age that we need to sometimes hold somebody's hand. And of course, when we're young, usually it's an adult. And so if we're in a busy store or, or if we're at a fair or, I don't know, maybe a movie theater would be a good kind of place. And, and I'm, I'm worried I'm going to lose my kids. And so all I have to do is just stick out my hand. I don't say anything. I stick out my hand. And little May or little Liza, even Kevin, he's getting a little too cool. Like, he'll hold my hand until he sees you, and then he's like, he'll just drop his hand. But but all my kids, just all, they just grab my hand. When you cross the street, that's the rule in my family, you know, for the little ones especially, grab hold of my hand. Oh, when you go through a parking lot, that sort of thing, you just, you've just you got to hold my hand. Now, when they're scared, they'll they'll just instinctively grab hold of my hand. I don't have to tell them how to do that, but... As we get older, we stop reaching out for help. We just stop. And I don't know why we do that. So, if you've ever heard yourself saying to your mom and dad, Thanks, but no thanks, I got this. Like, I don't need your help, I'm good. Or you say to your coach, your teacher, I don't need your help, I know how to do this. I don't know, it's just something about us. We want to grow up, we, we want to be independent, and so we, we just stop, we stop stretching out our hand. And so I'm going to appeal to you tonight, I'm going to challenge you to recapture the beauty of sticking your hand out to God, because He's always holding it out to you. This is not a passage that I worked up just for you. This is something that God ministered to me when I was in a bad emotional funk. Have you ever been in a bad emotional funk? when like nothing's wrong, but somehow everything's wrong, and you just, you're just kind of in a bad mood, and your interactions are kind of like, you know, not quite right. So the Lord just spoke this to me from, from Romans chapter 10, and it's really changed my perspective a little bit. Life gets crazy, though. And despite all of our saying to God, I I don't know that I need your help, or to our parents, I don't need your help, or to our friends, I don't need your help, or to our teachers, I don't need your help, eventually we will reach that place where we say, oh my goodness, what is going on? Life is really hard. And so that point came for me when I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at the University of Oklahoma. And I can't say that anything extraordinary happened. There wasn't like this horrible thing that happened in my life. I was just, all of a sudden, Feeling the pressure of all of my classes, um, I had a girlfriend at the time, and you know that was kind of a heavy thing and a little bit. And I, it, there was just like this moment when everything emotionally was like crashing down on me. I remember calling my mom. I was like, "I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. I was such a jerk and so immature." And she's like, honey, it's okay. Like, what's, what's wrong? And I, I don't know what was wrong. It was just life felt really, really hard. And I think, I think we need those moments. I think we need those reminders that, hey, it's okay to feel like you can't do things on your own. I'm older now. I just turned 41 on Friday. Woohoo. I wasn't really, like, excited, but... 41. What do you do when you turn 41? It's just like a normal day. Um, I'm older. I'm more experienced. I have more resources. I have more education. More of a lot of stuff. And yet I find that today I'm more desperate for God than I've ever been. Now think about that for a moment. That as you grow in your relationship with the Lord... You don't grow more independent, you grow more desperate for the Lord. Like you need him more and you realize that you need him more. And if you're not realizing that you need God more today than you did yesterday, the day before, then maybe we're not growing in Christ as much as we ought to. Now thankfully God always has an outstretched hand toward me. Whether I realize that I need help or even in moments when I don't realize that I need help, God always has an outstretched arm. In hand to Kevin Moore, Romans chapter ten verse twenty-one. But concerning Israel, he says, "All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people." Now, who is he talking about? Israel. He's talking about God's covenant people. Now, let me just bring this this passage into the larger perspective of Romans nine through eleven. This entire Section 9, 10, and 11. It's all about the salvation of Israel. In fact, you can hear Paul's heart that Israel, his countrymen, would be saved in chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And so this entire passage is about the salvation of Israel. Israel coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're an obstinate people. They are rebellious people. They were throughout their history. And so he quotes... Isaiah 65, that's why it's kind of inset. Some of your Bibles will have it kind of like poetry is, kind of tabulated in. Anytime a New Testament author quotes the Old Testament, we need to go back to that original context because oftentimes the New Testament author is not just citing or quoting that one concept. He's evoking the larger context. And so go back to Isaiah 65, and this is going to be a real education for us. And so just go over to Isaiah 65. And we're going to read what was going on roughly 800 years before the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. And so here's what Isaiah, writing in the 8th century before Jesus Christ, had to say about the nation of Israel that was going to have to go into exile because of all their sinfulness. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. Israel was not seeking their covenant God. Now, you think about that for a moment. Their entire identity should have been wrapped up in Yahweh, the God who created the people out of the seed of Abraham. Their identity should have been in their redemption out of Egypt, you know, God's faithfulness throughout the wilderness wandering. The fact that God, had spoken to them through Moses on Mount Sinai, that should have been their entire identity, and yet they weren't seeking after their their covenant God. They weren't doing it at all. Read with me in verse 2. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. And so rather than just listen to what God had said in the Sinai covenant, all the things that Moses spoke to them in the wilderness, they just... Chose instead to make up, conjure up in their own imaginations how God might want them to act, and then they acted according to that, which was completely ridiculous. Verse 3, "...a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick." And so it's not as though the nation of Israel was like being passive-aggressive with God. Have you ever known somebody who's really passive-aggressive? Like they would never say anything to your face, but like they would text behind your back and say things in the hall where you couldn't hear. I think we've all known people that like to stir the pot like that. That's not what Israel was doing. They were getting up in Yahweh's face. I mean, these were high-handed sins against God. They were provoking God to his face to anger these are God's covenant people. Verse 4, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat. So a couple of sinful things going on. Number one, they were, they were breaking the dietary laws of the Sinaitic covenant. But the other thing was simply that uh, they were apparently having seances out in the graveyards. So There's a lot of pagan stuff going on within the nation of Israel. We're not done. Look with me in verse 5. Who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. And so Israel is doing all these wicked things, and yet they're going around acting rather prideful. Like, don't get too close. Super holy over here. Don't get too close. You You might make me unrighteous. That's how they're acting to God and to other people. Um, It gets worse in verse 7. Both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord, because they burned sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills. I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. And so, essentially, this is idolatry. 800 years later... This same verse is quoted in Romans 10. And so we're going to go back to Romans 10. We'll just travel back over there. Let's read it again. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is not typically how we treat people. When they diss us, I don't know, you go up to somebody and you try to give them a high five. And let's just leave me hanging, all right? Just... Don't give me any love, all right? So you're like, like, like I'm not just going to hold my hand out there and feel stupid. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw that hand pretty quick. Or maybe you've been in a relationship and you dropped the L-bomb and it was not reciprocated. So that, that happened to me in college. I was like, baby, I love you. And she was like, yeah, I, I'm fond of you. It was something like that. It was really, really awful. But we backtrack at that moment, right? At that moment, I begin to go like this. Like, that's just what we do. So when somebody disses us, I mean, when they're rude to you, do you like text them and you're like, let's go hang out? Do you do that? No, I mean, you you take a step back. God's not that way. For 800 years, the Lord after they had done all those horrible things, was still like this. He did not withdraw his hand. All day long, I have held out my hands. God never stops reaching out his hand to you. When you sin and you break his heart, God still reaches out his hand. He he doesn't go like this. Oh, you dissed me? I, I want nothing to do with you. God doesn't do that. For 800 years, God was like this to Israel. Just take my hand. When you sin, God does not withdraw his hand. He leaves it out there and says, I'm still waiting. Let me tell you something else. When you are indifferent and apathetic toward the things of God, and, and I think, can we just all say in here that we have been that way from time to time? Don't read the Bible, don't pray, kind of don't want to go to church, but your parents are making you, that sort of thing. Like, I have been that guy, I have been that dude, and I know that you've probably been that way as well. When we're indifferent toward God, indifferent toward the God that crushed his son for us, when we're apathetic about him, he still loves us, and his hand is still out there. When you think about that, it's kind of a personal thing, right? I mean, you don't just go around holding people's hands. Hopefully, you don't. It's kind of weird. Um, I don't. It's a very personal thing. It's interesting. After 11 years, like, I still get like super excited to hold Stephanie's hand. Like, like it's still like a big deal. It's a very personal thing. You know, it's a very personal thing. You think about all the things that God could say to you, all the ways in which God could communicate. So I just flew home from Boston, and so uh, I can't blame it on jet lag, because it's just like, like Eastern time zone, but I feel really tired, so I don't know what's up with that. But you go through the TSA checkpoint, security checkpoints, and they treat you like cattle, like, you know... Take your iPads out of your backpacks, all personal items, your belts, your shoes. They just kind of holler at you. God doesn't do that. He takes out his hand and he says, Touch me. Hold me. I mean, he doesn't just write things across the clouds. You might want that clarity sometimes, but God has a much better, more personal way. He says, Take my hand. What a beautiful holy and awesome thing it is that god would say take my hand and he never stops even when you've done the unthinkable the thing that you think god could never forgive you for god never ever even budges he doesn't flinch he doesn't move reminds me of luke chapter 15 the story of the prodigal son The story of the prodigal son. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 15. We know the story, right? So the prodigal son takes his father's inheritance. He basically says, I wish you were dead already. Give me your money, and I want to go play and do what I want to do. So he squanders it through wild living, but the father never gives up. And here's what it says. Here's what it says. It's crazy. It blows my mind, if I could ever find it in my notes. So he got up. And he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. What an incredible thing. The father never quit holding out, not just one hand, but both hands, which is exactly what the apostle Paul says in Romans 10 verse 21. I have held out all day long my hands. Now, what an incredible thing that God would hold out the hands. You think about all the things that God's hands have done for us. I mean, we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. What did God's hands do? The Bible says he fashioned man. Like God literally got his hands dirty. And then when when. Israel was in bondage in Egypt, the Bible says, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. God redeemed his people out of Egypt. You think about all the incredible things that God's hands have done for you. All the answers to prayer. And God is extending those hands to you. This is not just like a philosophical conversation. I'm saying, right now, like every Sunday morning when I get up to preach... When you are in the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you go to Sunday school, Sunday night when you're here, Wednesday night at Greenhouse, God is doing this. He's saying, come on, I am waiting. I love you, and I'm waiting for you. What is it within us that doesn't want to take the hands of one so good? So my kids were excited that I was going to Boston because we were flying through national Washington, D.C. airport. And my eight year old said, Could you please go say hi to the president for me? Like he was dead serious. Dead serious. Like, how do you explain to an eight year old, I'm probably not going to run into Donald Trump at the airport in the one hour that I'm there? But then at my final destination, uh, they wanted me to go hang out with Mookie Betts. Does anybody know who that is? I had no idea who that was. Red Sox, super awesome. And, and, And the irony is, I was thinking to myself, I'm not going to run into Mookie Betts, but guess what? He actually goes to the church where I went to hang out with uh, the pastor who's the chaplain for the Red Sox. So I didn't see Mookie Betts, but it actually could have happened. Anyway, so I got him some cool swag, and only you can't really afford it at Fenway, and so I got it at Target. So anyway, they wanted me to touch Mookie Betts' hand, like just how cool that would be. that's how we are with idols, with people in Hollywood, great musicians. We, We just want to touch them like, wow, you're so awesome. And yet, when it comes to God, when he's got not one, but both hands outstretched, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the God of the cosmos is reaching out to you somehow, for some reason, we're just a little too cool for him. I don't know. I don't know why. But I catch myself doing that. God, I can preach this sermon. I've preached thousands of messages by now. I totally got this. God, I can do I can do marriage. I don't Stephanie, I love each other. We can do this thing. We can get along. We don't just love each other. We like each other like we're friends. We can do this without you. Parenting, no biggie. Pastoring, ah, totally got this. I've done this like nearly 15 years straight. God, I can do this. I may not say that with my words, but with my actions, practically speaking, that's what I'm saying. And I'm wondering if you're saying the same thing to God. So what would it mean for you to reach out your hand? I want, to write, want you to write these things down. Number one, faith. Faith. If you were to reach out and take hold of God's outstretched hands to you tonight, you would have to begin by just believing that God is extending himself. In faith, you'd have to say, God, I can't see you, but I believe that you love me. And that your hands are outstretched toward me. And they've been that way all day long. But not just all day long. For 800 years, just like Israel. For millennia. God, like you've loved me before I was even born. Before you knit me together in my mother's womb. So it begins with faith. You would have to acknowledge tonight that God is looking down at you with love. With arms just like this. The second word is commitment. You need to decide, if you're going to take hold of his hand, you need to decide that he actually wants you to go with him. I mean, I I suppose sometimes you could just hold somebody's hand and sit there, but typically, especially in our relationship with the Lord, when we grab hold of our hands, our hand to his... He's taking us somewhere. He's leading us somewhere. He's shepherding us somewhere. So we need to make a commitment. If we're going to grab hold of his hand tonight, we need to acknowledge that he's taking us somewhere. Like you're not just staying where you are. You need to be willing to go wherever it is that he wants you to go. And and even after all these years of ministry, I still have to say that to him. I, I said that to him before I came here. But I still say that to him all the time. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm all in, as long as you make it really clear and give me the strength. But again, it's that commitment. God, if I take hold of your hand, I know you're going to be leading me somewhere. The third word is relationship. So spending time listening to God through his word. And so this is really grounded in the context of Romans chapter 10. And and while you're writing that word down, let me just quote to you. In Romans chapter 10, verses 16 and following, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And so relationship relationship, 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 relationship. If you're ever at a loss for what to do in your spiritual life, stop and open God's Word. Because it's just as though you're taking hold of God's hand. I mean, I mean, sometimes I feel like God's like <laughs> jerking me forward. He's more gentle than that. But every time I open the Bible, God is saying, come this way, come that way. No, don't go that way. Come this way. Every time I open the pages of Scripture... It's like the relationship, this, this journey and this relationship just grows so deep. The fourth word is repentance. Because if it's true that you're on a journey with the Lord, that means you're walking away from something. You're walking away from something. And so I had one of those relationships where um, you, know, you break up, you get back together, you break up, you get back together. Um, long before I was married, I was like, 18, 19, 20 years old. And, you know, we got together. We broke up. Come on. Has anybody ever done this? Just like back and forth, back and forth. And I would call my mom from college, and she always knew when I was back with this girl, because she could hear it in my voice, because I was like melancholy and like halfway depressed and not real happy and kind of like bitter. And and she always knew when we were together. And she said, Kevin, have you returned to your vomit? Now, she didn't... (laughs) You know that verse in the book of Proverbs? As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly, and so she became known as the vomit girl. Nothing wrong with her. But, but she just knew, she knew when I was with this girl because I kept, I kept going back. And I remember, I remember being in church one day, and the worship leader was, was playing a song, and we hadn't quite got gotten to the sermon portion yet. And I remember I, it was like the Lord just spoke through the worship pastor. And here were the words. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? And I just melted. I just melted right there in worship. And I started to weep because I knew what I was holding on to. If you're gonna grab hold of God's hand tonight or any day of your life for that matter, you need to understand that it's going to it's going to intrinsically mean walking away. From something else, sometimes things that you really, really care about. Now, the cool thing about God is he's never going to lead you the wrong way. And so I got a great stock tip the other day. So I don't, I don't buy individual stocks. Usually it's just too risky, and I don't have time to day trade, and I can't stay on my phone while I'm at work. It's just like, but but I got this stock tip from this person who really really knew what they were talking about. Go buy McDermott International. MDR is the the tagline. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to miss out on significant growth. So here we go. So I called my online bank and um, you know I I, I I bought some of the stock. Big mistake. Like, it is still losing money. And I don't even know how that's possible. Like, I I have only a few hundred dollars left in it. Like, I have lost so much money. People will, will lead you astray. And this was a guy who really knew what he was talking about, apparently. God's never, ever, ever going to lead you astray. In fact, do you know where he's going to lead you? I mean, ultimately, after this life is done, when you grab hold... Of almighty God's hand, he's going to lead you to heaven. And so I have to go back to Isaiah 65. I know we're going back and forth. But again, the Apostle Paul is using Isaiah 65 for a reason. And I I want to read to you just a few verses. And this is going to, this is really going to ring a bell. It's going to sound a whole lot like the book of Revelation. And it should because the Apostle John quotes it. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. When we grab hold of Almighty God's hand, ultimately He's going to take us to glory. A place that is so new, so fresh, so awesome, that you you have this like glorious amnesia. You can't even remember the former things because of how awesome and how fresh the magnificence of heaven is going to be. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You couldn't even bring them up, because they're going to be gone. Because the glories of presence of Almighty God is going to be so magnificent. He goes on to say, but be glad and rejoice forever... When we take hold of God's hand, He leads us into eternal rejoicing. When I will spend time with Jesus, God just lights my spirit on fire. He just, He puts a song in my heart. Did I wake somebody up just then? I love this hollow. Like, this is really good. I wish I had that in the the big room. God just, like, man, He just gets you so excited. I mean, God just puts rejoicing in your heart. And I don't know about you, but I do a whole lot better in life when I've got a song in my heart. Let me just keep on reading. He says, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. So God is going to create this dwelling realm for you to enjoy him. Like, that's, mm, that's where God is taking you. He's taking you closer to himself. So it's not like you grab a hold of God's hand and he takes you to a successful job. He takes you to a successful marriage. He takes you to financial peace. He takes you to himself. So God is ultimately doing this. To you. Let me just keep on reading because it gets even better. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. And this is what we understand about heaven, that God takes his mighty, mighty hand, and ultimately, he takes it to your face, and he wipes away every tear from your eye. Isn't that? Isn't that so good that God would draw you close to himself and take that mighty hand that has delivered the nation of Israel, that wrought your salvation, and he'd take it. And as powerful as it is, he takes it close to your cheek and he's going to wipe every tear from your eyes for the rest of eternity. And so God is stretching out his hand to you. One final thought, and then we're going to close this thing up. We need to remember, and in fact, if we were to go back and read the book of Isaiah, we are reminded that that God is much higher than us. Uh, Our our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. God is much higher. And so we have a tendency to think, and, and I've been using this gesture like this whole time. But remember, God is not our equal. God is in heaven. And so he is reaching down to us. So it's not as though we're just like shaking the Lord's hand, grabbing hold of it, and then somehow he's just going to walk with us and talk with us and make life just a little bit better. No, he's reaching down to us, and we're reaching up, and we're hanging on for dear life because this means eternity. You know those Indiana Jones shows? At some point in every Indiana Jones movie, he's hanging from a cliff, and thank God he has that like bullwhip, you're right? you let go of him and you don't have anything now now the blessing is while you may let go of him he will never ever let go of you so god is reaching down here tonight he's reaching down to you he's reaching down to your loneliness And I'm not confused. I'm not under the misguided thought that if you're surrounded by people, that you're not lonely. In fact, some of the loneliest people I've met are people who are surrounded by others. So maybe for some of you, God is reaching down to the point of your loneliness. Or maybe God is reaching down to your depression or to your emotional funk or rough patch. Or maybe God is reaching down to your grief. Or maybe God is reaching down to your shame. Reaching down to you in your guilt, in your anger, in your bitterness, in your frustration. I don't know what's going on, but here's what I do know. God is reaching out to you. Arms wide open. What you need to decide here tonight, regardless of how old you are, how young you are, if you're an adult in the room, if you're a young person, what you need to decide is whether or not you're going to grab hold of his hand. And I'm praying that you will.